This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Well, good morning. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 3. But before we go there, I'd like to ask you to think about your life for a moment. Not the church part, not just the church part, but the whole thing. The places and the people, your friends, your family, people you lead, people you follow, the whole thing. At this moment in time, if you could name one thing you need, what would that be? And I know that's an extremely vague question and there are seasons in in life. But at this moment, what is one thing that would most benefit your life? It could be as simple as money. We, we need heat and roofs and food. That's not wrong. Maybe you need a relationship restored, or maybe you need something else resolved, a question needs settling, a, something that's looming over your life. Whatever it is, at this moment in time, What do you think your life would benefit from the most? 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and, gave, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke. Behold, it was a dream. 
And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and, and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I give, gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she rose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. The other woman said, No, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my child that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. And the king answered and said, Give the living child to the woman, first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us through it. I pray that you would show us Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would Show us how to be more like Him and display Him to the world. Father, it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I asked you those questions before we read our passage on purpose. I wanted to see if more wisdom was something that came to mind as something you desperately need more of. Because you see, make no mistake, our passage this morning is all about wisdom. I want you to, to hear that because I want you to convince, I want to convince you this morning that godly wisdom matters. That godly wisdom matters. I want you to hear the writer of Kings say to you and I, the same way he said to the first readers of this passage, that godly wisdom is essential for wherever God has placed you. For example... Look at verses 1 through 4 again, where the first thing the writer of King tells, Kings tells us is that godly wisdom matters because even the best of us need more. Because even the best of us need more. Now, we're still at the beginning of this story about Israel's kings, so everything was still mostly okay. However, like any good writer, the writer of Kings inserts a little foreshadowing of things to come. Just, just flip back a page, maybe two, to chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Notice it says, So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And then in verses 13 through 
46, it goes on to say how Solomon went through the land and did everything his father David said he needed to do. And at the very end of chapter 2, if you look at the second half of verse 46, the author repeats himself. He says, so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So remember, God had promised Solomon's father, David, an eternal throne and someone from his line to sit on that throne for all time. So following this first successful transition of God's covenant monarch, there is this collective yes at the end of chapter 2. It's working, followed immediately by a collective no at the beginning of chapter 3. You see, it's just a blip on the radar, but it was noticeable. It was noticeable that the very first description of Solomon's reign after it was established wasn't his righteous execution of God's justice, his strong leading of the people to worship, or the building of the Lord's temple. No, it was more like Solomon's reign was firmly established. And he married a bunch of foreign wives and built himself a big house and worshipped with a bunch of pagans. You see, like an inattentive school bus driver, even the great King Solomon was capable of veering off the covenant road and taking the children of God into the ditch with him. So how about you? Has God placed anyone in your care? Anyone relying on you to guard and lead and care for them spiritually? And don't get me wrong, we're not Solomon. We're not a covenant king of Israel or queen. But listen, that doesn't make things better for us. That makes us more needy. Because when it comes to keeping not only your own life out of the ditch but those whom God has placed in your life, those who you influence, when it comes to that, the thing about wisdom is at any given time, we think we have enough, while we always look back and recognize how much more we could have used in the past. Let me say that again. At any given time, we think we have enough, while we always look back and recognize we could have used more in the past. Which means it doesn't matter if you're a leader of tens or a leader of thousands, if you're the covenant king of Israel or a Sunday school teacher, if you're a mother or a father, young or old, if you are in this room and breathing right now, godly wisdom matters because even the best of us need more of it. But why? That's easy to say. The best of us need more wisdom. Why? Why do we need more wisdom? Well, let me give you one example. Let's say someone came up to you and asked, what do you think about God? How would you answer that question? And I don't mean how would you describe him, something like that. I mean, how big is God to you? How big is God to you? Like how much effect does God have on your life? And I know we're all in church, so we all know the right answer. God is the most important thing ever. Praise Jesus. I know that's the right answer. But now suppose that same person asked you to prove it. 
Prove that's what you believe. Prove that you believe God is that big. How would you answer that question? How would you prove it? What would you say? Well, not only does this passage say that godly wisdom matters because even the best of us need more, but look at verses 5 through 15 again, where it says godly wisdom matters because our desire for it reveals what we really think about God. Our desire for more godly wisdom reveals what we really think about God. Look at verse 6 again. And remember, God gave Solomon a blank check in verse 5. So notice why Solomon asked God to write wisdom on that check in verse 6. He says, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I'm but a little child, I do not know how to go, in or co how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too many to be numbered. He says in verse 9, Therefore, give your servant an understanding mind. Did you catch it? Did you catch the, the gist of why Solomon was asking for wisdom? He says in verse 6, God, you were the one that showed love to my father. You gave him a throne to sit on. And you gave him a son to sit on that throne. And it says in verse 7, Now, God, you have made your servant to sit on that throne to govern your people whom you have chosen. Therefore, give your servant wisdom. Whose kingdom does Solomon know he's ruling? Whose people does Solomon know he's leading? Who, whose purpose does Solomon know his life is intended to fulfill? In other words, Solomon rightly recognized that the whole purpose for his existence, for his life, was to fulfill what God had sovereignly prepared him for. Solomon recognized that every aspect of his life was intended to fulfill God's purposes, not his own. So he asked for wisdom. How much of your life does God have a purpose for? Is God the one who prepared you for where he has you? And is he the one who, who put you where you are, your job or your family or wherever? And does he have a purpose for how he has prepared you to be where he has placed you? Because if you believe that, if you believe God is that big, if you believe God is that sovereign, that he has a purpose and a calling for your life, then what could you need more of than wisdom to fulfill what he has called you to? You see, if someone asked us to prove how we feel about God, then asking for wisdom to fulfill what he's called us to would show how big and how important and how sovereign, sovereign we really think he is. In fact, a short time later, in the very first proverb, this King Solomon would say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Wisdom is where reverence for God starts. In other words, wisdom matters because at least according to this passage, when one of God's greatest leaders rightly recognized how big God is and what he had called him to do, he asked for wisdom. And listen, verse 10 tells us that Solomon's request pleased God. It pleased God. Why did it please God? We'll look again at verse 11. God said, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself an understanding, understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. In other words, Solomon's request for wisdom revealed that he wanted to do what God wanted, not what he wanted. It pleased God because it revealed Solomon's understanding that he was someone under authority, in need of wisdom. Now again, as far as I know, nobody in here is a, a covenant king or queen of, of Israel. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a calling on your life. And that calling could be general, it could be specific. It's different for every single one, even at different times in our lives. But the point is, God has a purpose and a plan for the people He has brought into our lives, the people that we interact with. So our desire for wisdom should reflect how important it is to us to accomplish His purposes. In fact, to make crystal clear how wisdom reveals what we think about God, look at what wisdom did to Solomon's worship. Our passage opened up with Solomon worshiping where he shouldn't have, at the great high places where all the pagans worshipped. But no sooner is Solomon granted wisdom than verse 15 tells us that the first thing that changed was his worship. It says, And Solomon awoke, right after he had this vision of the Lord, and behold, it was a dream that he came to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings there, not at the great high places. Now Solomon is worshiping in Jerusalem at the Ark where he should be. If you think God has sovereignly ordained a purpose for your life, and if you think fulfilling that, that purpose is important, then, then, then godly wisdom matters, not only because the best of us need more, but because it reveals what we really think about God. Which takes us to the next reason that this wisdom matters. Because if we do truly see God as sovereign over our lives, and we truly do want to fulfill His calling in us, then more than ever we'll recognize that godly wisdom matters because God's plan is still often unexpected. It's still often unexpected. It's still often not how we would see it. Let me, let me explain what I mean. In verses 16 through 27, we have this very well-known story about two prostitutes who, who bring this problem before Solomon. And Solomon's answer is, cut the baby in half. Now, we're going to assume that Solomon didn't say that because he was a psycho, we're going to assume that he said that because he, was, he knew that would flush out the real mother. But that's the point, you see. We know what Solomon said was wise because we're looking at things in hindsight. 
after they worked out. It's easy to, to look at something as wise after it works out. But that's not how real life works, is it? And not only is that not how real life works, but it also saps the power and the uncomfortableness, even the shock out of this story. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. And the king, after the women brought this issue, the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. You see, this story really begins to hit home when we put ourselves into those moments of this story. The moments before everyone knew that what Solomon said was wise. That moment when everyone but Solomon thought he was nuts. When, when all they knew is that the, the, the God-ordained king of Israel just ordered an infant to be cut in half. Like, like after Solomon asked for a sword, how long did the guard stand there before he was like, oh, you're serious, okay, right away, king. How long did it take to bring the sword to Solomon? How, how, long, how close did said sword get to said child? Before the mother said, stop. Those moments where, those moments were not moments of, oh, he's such a wise king. They were moments of panic and fear. And what did he just say? That's the thing, though. That's why godly wisdom matters. God's way of doing things is still often unexpected and illogical or, or even uncomfortable, and it doesn't seem right at the time. Like it was God's wisdom in Genesis that said a self-centered teenage twit being sold into slavery by his older brothers was how God was going to save the nation from starvation. And it took them 40 years to figure out that was wise. It was God's wisdom in Exodus that said a stuttering 80-year-old man with a bad temper is the best choice to lead millions of people out of Egypt thousands of miles through the desert. And how many decades did it take for them to figure out that was wise? It was God's wisdom that said in Acts that a guy who hates Gentiles is the best choice to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I've got a good idea. Let's take a guy who doesn't really care about anyone and make him a pastor in Cedarcrest. <laughs> There's a lot of people who still haven't figured out that one. But brothers and sisters, that's why wisdom matters. Because frankly, God still asks us to speak into issues today that aren't getting any simpler. And he hasn't stopped doing things in ways that don't sound right in the moment. Ways that confound the wisdom of man and the world. We still have difficult scenarios to wade through. Situations in our lives that require that special godly wisdom to navigate them rightly. Like husbands, you have been called to, to lead your family and love your wives. When should that love for your wife be firm? And when should it be soft? When should your wife be told, this is what we are doing as a family? And when should you listen to her advice because she's right? 
When do your children need a heavy hand and when do they need a soft one? What should you say when one of your kids says they think they're homosexual or any number of other things these days? Husbands, God has called you to make difficult decisions. And sometimes that wisdom is not clarity. Sometimes that wisdom is simply faith to do what God has already called you to do in Scripture. However, listen to me, husbands. Saying that you're thinking about it or praying about it for months at a time in hopes that whatever situation might blow over or solve itself is not an acceptable answer. There are people in your life that need answers now. They need answers today and they need you to make them. And I'm here to help you make them if you need it. Wives, same book, different chapter. When does your husband need quiet submission? And when does he need an unflinching, Bible-wielding, lovingly rebuking, spiritually equal wife? When do you need to offer your husband your advice? And when do you need to tell him this is your decision? The Bible is very clear that God has intentionally placed all of us into others' lives to influence them and to, to talk to them about different issues. For example, God intentionally placed each and every single one of us into the lives of the people in this room for a purpose. To help us grow and, and, and be transformed into a better image of Christ. So when does your brother or sister need a stern rebuke and when do they need your sympathy? These are all issues that take godly wisdom that's not always the way it think, that doesn't always look right. It doesn't always seem like what the world would do. When do you need to insert yourselves in each other's lives and when do you need to just pray? What about the lives of those outside the church? Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Here are some questions that are headed our way, if not today, in the future. What do you say to a person who is fully, physically transgendered, who gets saved, recognizes their sin, and asks you if they should transition back? What would you say if a wife asked you, when does pornography become legitimate grounds for divorce? What would you tell a friend whose wife is pregnant when they find out that she has severe cancer, and she has a good chance of living if she starts chemo right away, but it will certainly kill the baby? I know you're thinking I'd say no hablo inglés. <laughs> but these are issues that take godly wisdom. Brothers and sisters, God has placed us in different lives to further the kingdom of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. Which means godly wisdom matters. It matters because even the best of us need more of it. It matters because it reveals what we think about God. And godly wisdom matters. Because God's seemingly backwards wisdom is still needed every day in this world. Which brings us to one more reason. That wisdom matters, and I want to make sure you see it, because it's the most important reason. You see, we've been looking at Solomon's wisdom, and he was a wise man. 
But the thing is, the wisdom I'm talking about, the wisdom that matters to you and I, is not just different than Solomon's, it's better. You see, this book was written to a people who were already in exile. First there was King David, and then we're reading about his son Solomon who sat on the throne. Then there was about 500 years, a, a line of kings who were just one bad king after the other. With a few bright spots, for the most part it was a mayday. And after this long line of kings, God disciplined his people by allowing them to be conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And this book was written to those people who were sitting in exile, looking back at what had happened, what had gone wrong. They're reading what had happened and what had gone wrong. So what would they be thinking reading this passage about Solomon? Sitting in exile. I think they would be saying something like, yeah, Solomon was wise, but he wasn't wise enough. As wise as Solomon was, he wasn't able to keep his sons from dividing the kingdom or us from going into exile. In other words, sitting in exile, reading this story, the Israelites would be thinking, it's hard to imagine this, but we need a better king. A king who is even wiser than King Solomon. You know what? Scripture tells us that king has a name. You see, Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is the better Solomon. Which means he's not just as wise as Solomon. No, he is wiser than Solomon. Meaning, this incredible wisdom of Solomon that said to cut a baby in half was just a warm-up for what God was going to do through Jesus Christ. It's like we read this morning that Bob went over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Listen to what Paul says about this wisdom. He says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But listen, Christ crucified to those who are called both Jews and, drink, and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, Christ is such a wiser king than Solomon that he came up with this crazy idea to show grace to people who hated him by sacrificing himself on a cross. And for 33 years, everybody who knew about it thought it was an offensive joke. Yet while it was far more outrageous than ordering a baby cut in half, the Bible tells us it was the wisest thing that God ever did. Which means, listen, when it comes to that crazy, unexpected wisdom of God, every time we tell someone 
to believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins, we are asking them to believe something far more crazy than cut a baby in half. I mean, no wonder after describing this salvation in the first ten chapters of Romans, at the end of chapter 11, Paul said, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. Which means, look at verse 28. It means the last reason godly wisdom matters most of all is because ultimately it glorifies Christ. It says, uh, the writer said, And all Israel heard of the judgments that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You see, Solomon's wisdom wowed a handful of Judeans. But God's wisdom, God's wisdom was different. God's wisdom made suns dark and soldiers sympathetic. God's wisdom made curtains come apart while it put people back together. God's wisdom convicted the faithless while it consecrated the faithful. And brothers and sisters, when we exhibit this seemingly backwards wisdom of God today, we give people a glimpse of that Christ. When this world sees grace, when it expects hate. When this world sees strength, when it expects surrender. When this world sees compassion, when it expects cruelty. When this world sees sacrifice, when it expects selfishness, it sees Christ. It sees Christ through the Christ-like wisdom that we exhibit. And listen, because I want to make sure you leave with this. Regarding this grace-magnifying, world-confusing, Christ-glorifying wisdom, Our brother James said in the first chapter of his letter, all we need to do is just ask. Just ask for it. He said, just ask. And the God who gives generously to all without reproach will give you this wisdom. Just ask. Just ask, and He'll give you this wisdom. Godly wisdom matters. It matters because even the best of us need it. It matters because it reveals what we really think about God. It matters because it's still needed in this world. But most of all, godly wisdom matters because it glorifies Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for how it brings life to us. I, I thank you for how your word convicts and encourages, how it counsels and rebukes. Father, I pray that your word would be at work in the lives of these, your, your sons and daughters this week. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of how you asked us to just ask for this wisdom and you'll grant it to us and that we would have faith.
that you will show us how to display the godly wisdom of Christ. Father, it is in his name that I pray. Amen.